recently I uh, heard a story of two ladies who started working together. And they, uh, they had just met for the first time. And how, how many of you guys have ever like met someone for the first time and you immediately thought, okay, we're going to be friends. Like we're going to be close. Like this is just going to be a good thing. And we're just going to have to hang out together a ton because me and you, like we're just going to get along. Have you guys ever met someone like that? Yeah, absolutely. We all have. And these ladies, they started a job on the same day. They started working at the same place on the same day. And from the day that they met, they decided that they wanted to be close to each other. They were going to have a friendship. But the problem comes, the older you get, the harder it is to make new friendships because you're busy. You got kids, you got the job, you got things. And how many of you guys just know that life is busy? And so it's really hard to develop really close friendship. This is why for many of us, the closest friends that we have in our lives are friends that we had since we were a child, since middle school, high school, college. How many of you guys, most of you are like really, really close friends are from that age group. It's because you had a whole lot more time during that time of your life to kind of spend, to talk and to share the life experiences. And so these, one of these ladies kind of realized that, you know, we start in this job together. We're both adults now. We both have busy lives. We live on completely opposite sides of town. This is just going to be really, really hard for us to develop a relationship. And so what one of them did, this is going to sound super self-centered and narcissistic, but actually when we look at it, it's brilliant. Um, She started, instead of, you know, just having this feeling of, man, we're just not connecting like we should or whatever, she started in her free time when she was away from her friend, she started tape recording like her life story. So she would talk about the old boyfriend. She would talk about the first job in the ice cream shop. She would talk about all of that. And what happened over time is she would give her friend the tape and then she'd start working on a new tape. And then her friend would start taping something. And so the shared story of their lives, they immediately were able to catch up to one another. How many of you guys think that's a cool thing? Like just the communication that they had in this shared story. And so all of a sudden her new friend, they've only been friends for maybe a couple of months. And for adults, that's almost like um, you know, for a couple of months, for some of us with our friends for a couple of months, like that's just a, like, I know your last name now stage, you know, like, but they knew like all these deep, deep secrets and stories and life stories, all because her friend said, you know what, I'm just going to take some time and tell you my story. I'm just going to take some time. It's just going to be, you can listen to it when you want to. If you don't want to listen to it, you don't have to. I'm just going to take some time and tell you my story. The communication deepened so much in the relationship and it brought them closer together. Communication will define the depth of any relationship. Communication will define the depth of any relationship. If you want to know how deep your relationship is, look at how well you communicate. Your friends are your friends because you talk to them. They know a lot about you. Your acquaintances are your acquaintances because you talk to them less. They haven't opened up to you as much and you haven't opened up to them as much. We wrapped up this series on marriage last week and we talked about valuing the perspective of the other person to, 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 to hear that or to understand that she has a perspective and he has a perspective. And when we operate in unity, it's not that we both agree on the things because we'll never do that, right? We'll never, you'll never agree with anybody on anything. But what will happen is, is that if I honor each person's perspective, then unity happens. And so we talked about that. Good communication is going to determine the depth of our relationship. Good communication comes when in both quality and quantity. If I, my wife and I uh, really only had one good talk once a year, 
how good would that relationship be? Some of you guys are like, eh, I don't know, but might, might want to try it. You know, no, no, don't try that. If you only had one good talk once a year, the relationship would be terrible. If we talked every day, but it was only about the logistics of getting things done, like who's picking up the kids from school, who's getting dinner, who's going to take the dog out to the vet, who's going who's gonna to do that, then the relationship would be terrible. Rela- good relationships, good communication requires both quality communication and quantity communication. I remember my mom telling me a couple years ago, the key to a good relationship with a teenage kid is this. As a parent, you have to be ready to listen when they're ready to talk to you. If I want her to fit into my schedule, I have a 20-year-old daughter. If I want her to fit into my schedule of when I'm ready to talk, she's never going to talk to me. I have to be ready and open to hear that conversation whenever she's ready to talk to me as a parent. The depth of our relationships is determined by the quality and the quantity of our communication. Every Sunday morning, before you get here, our team prays for you. We ask the Holy Spirit to direct our services so that every single person here will take one step closer to God. That's the prayer we pray every Sunday morning, that every person here, and here's the thing, you could be a Christian your whole life. You could be a Christian just for a couple of months, or maybe you're not even a Christian yet. Maybe you're like, I'm just checking things out. I just want to see what's happening here. You know, maybe that's you. Either way, wherever you are on the spectrum, all of us can take one step closer to God, and God wants to have a relationship with us. So if communication is defined, defines the depth of our relationship, then our communication with God will define the depth of our relationship with Him. And we call this communication with God prayer. And so I want to start a new series this week on prayer. I want to talk about how we can pray better prayers. I want to talk about maybe, maybe sometimes when you pray, you're like, man, God just feels distant for me. He doesn't feel like like he's, I, I know God's real because like I look out and like things are, the creation's beautiful, but I just don't feel like I'm a part of what he's doing. I, my relationship with him is not where it needs to be. And so we want to do this series on prayer to where we talk about how to have a deeper relationship with God. We could all improve on the quality and the quantity of our prayer. Some of us have a weak prayer life because of lack of quantity or quality, sorry, lack of quality. Uh, there's an old movie where uh, Tim Allen, the comedian, some of you guys might not know who that is. Some, he was just an old comedian. And Tim Allen, uh, he, him and his um, wife, they get caught up in like, they, there's breakdown on the side of the road and they're in this Amish community, hyper-religious. And they're like, hey, come have dinner with us. And he's like, okay, we'll have dinner with you. So they, they sit down for dinner and the, the, the father looks at Tim Allen and he says, hey, will you pray for the meal? And Tim Allen, he's not one to pray. And he, he kind of sits there for a second. And he goes, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. And that was the quality of his prayer that he prayed. And for some of us, we're like, well, I can pray better than that. Good, good that you can pray better than that. But some of us, are we have a weak prayer life because our prayers don't have quality. Some of us have a weak prayer life because our prayers lack quantity. Before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he took his three closest disciples into the garden and he asked them to pray with him. He went a little further down the path and when he came back, all of his disciples were asleep. All of his disciples were asleep. They couldn't pray for longer than an hour. And here's what he said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 40. He said this, could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray so that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch here simply means to be careful that destructive calamity doesn't suddenly overtake you due to forgetfulness or laziness. And some of us, our lives are just so busy and so we're so distracted with what's the next game? What's the next thing I got to get my kids to? What's the next thing that my job's going to ask me? What's the next thing that I got to, I'm being asked to do at home? What are the next things that have to happen? And, and we're just moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And we just get forgetful. We get forgetful about the things of God. How many th- things have we given up on simply uh, by stopping our prayers through forgetful or forgetfulness or laziness before the process of whatever that thing that was doing, whatever God was doing in our life, before that process was complete. So today we're starting this series called Near to the Throne. We're going to look at how to strengthen our prayer life and to get a better understanding of who we are, how God sees us, and how to better communicate with Him. And today we're going to talk. Uh, talk we're going to title this message the Bold Approach. When I was a young youth pastor just starting out in ministry, um, I was on staff with a, uh, a South African church planner, and he, uh, he was in his 70s. So I, he's probably close to 50 years older than me. And um, he just, he was like a hero to me, like mentor, like this guy was the guy. Like if, if I wanted to, if like, you know, like sometimes people like the young kids that play basketball, they look at like LeBron James and they're like, one day I'm gonna grow up and be LeBron James. Well, young pastor Jeff, wanted to be like Pastor Hewitt. Like that's who I wanted to be growing up because this dude like had it together. When he prayed, when he prayed, when he opened his mouth, it was something, maybe it was something about like the age that he was or maybe it was his South African accent or whatever, but he just said like, he had like a T at the end of God. When he would say God, he would be like, oh God. And it was almost be like the room just stopped. Like time and space like just stopped and all of a sudden heaven like opened up and were like, okay, let's see what Pastor Hewitt has to say here. Like, that's what it felt like when he prayed. And I wanted to be like that so much. I was like, like so jealous of his prayer game. He prayed bold prayers and he would tell stories about seeing people radically saved and seeing people healed from like all kinds of things in their lives. And he would, he would tell these stories and I'd be like, man, I want to pray prayers like that. But I remember thinking there's no way, like, I don't see that in me. Like, I don't see the gifting that he has to pray those prayers like that in me. And one day we were at the church that we were serving at, and he was out of town on vacation. And I got a call at the church office, and there was a family who uh, their loved one was like stage four cancer on their deathbed. The doctors are basically saying, hey, call everybody in. This is only going to be a couple of days. And they're like, can, the family called us and they said, hey, can someone from your church come and pray? with this family, with our family while this, while our family member is dying. And I just remember, uh, I remember thinking, okay, great. Uh, where's, where's Pastor Hewitt? Let's go send him. Right. And he was out on vacation and I was like, man, this is no good. And so I was like the one that got picked to do it. And guys, I can be completely honest with you. I pull up to the hospital. I had a 30 minute drive to the hospital the whole time. I'm like sweating. I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. I pull up to the hospital. I get in the elevator the elevator doors close and there's no one else in the elevator but me. And I remember having this feeling of like, I have nothing in me to give this family. I have nothing in me to give. Whatever prayers I'm going to pray, whatever 
nothing I'm going to say, whatever thing is going to happen in this situation, there's nothing that I have inside of me that's going to be worth anything to them because this situation is just bad. And as the doors close and I'm in the elevator all by myself, between the first floor and the third floor that I was getting off, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, not audibly, like the elevator didn't shake or anything like that. It was just in my spirit. The Holy Spirit said, you don't think you have anything to offer this family. You're right, you don't. But I do. Just ask for my presence in the room. And that's what all I did is I walked into this hospital room and I, I said, you know, Holy Spirit, you said in your word, we're two or more gathered you in our midst. And so we just invite your presence. And God did an amazing work in that family. And so many of us, we our prayer lives are weak because we compare to someone else. You've got that great aunt, or you've got that grandmother, or you've got that parent, or you've got that professor, or you've got that 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 so whoever it is, that pastor that you grew up under. You've got somebody that you're looking to, and you're like, I could never pray like that. And what that does is when you make a comparison, you're just like, Well, I'm just not going to pray like that. I'm not even gonna try. But what we need to realize is that every single one of us have the same qualifications to have an incredible prayer life as they did. Every single one of us, every single one of us in here have the same qualifications for a powerful prayer life. And some of you guys are looking at me like, there is no way that because you've never met my grandmother. (laughs) You have the same qualifications for a powerful prayer life. Here's the qualifications that we have. In Romans 3.23, it says this, for all, everybody say all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If sin separates us from God and we're all sinners, then guess what? Nobody is qualified. Nobody is qualified. And so all the, all that these people, these people, these heroes that we look to, these older saints, these former pastors, these professors, these grandparents, all these people that we're looking to as heroes of prayer, the only way that they got there is they just started practicing. They just started practicing. I'm not like a a really big, strong, buff gym guy. But if I went into the gym today with my friend who's like 6'3", 250 solid muscle, right? He would wear me out. Is it because he has a gift that I don't have? No, I'm 6'4". I'm I'm just as capable as he he is. No, the thing is that he's just been doing the work. And so I want to encourage you today that it may seem sometimes that your prayers aren't effective. It may see sometimes that God is distant. It may see sometimes that, that just things aren't, when you ask God for things, that they're, they're not coming through the way that you think that they, that they would come through. Still do the work. Be committed to the work because when we're committed to the work, God begins to shape things in our heart. Prayer is not necessarily an opportunity for you to ask God for some things. Prayer is an opportunity for God to shape you. It's a conversation. It's God talking to you just as much as it is you talking to him. And so we want to have stronger prayer lives. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The high priest there is Jesus. So Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But he is one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in help, to help in the time of need. We can have confidence 
to draw near to God. It doesn't matter how far away you think God is. It doesn't matter how distant it is. The Bible promises that when we draw near to God, he's going to draw near to us. He's going to come near to us. But where does this confidence to draw near to God come from? This confidence comes from our new identity in him. One of my favorite verses, I almost quote it every week. You guys are going to be able to quote it before if you've been here long enough at Connective Church. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, but the new has come. You have a new identity in Jesus. It's not the person that you once were. It's not the person that, 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 that made all those mistakes, that had all those failures, that, that did those things in high school and college. You're not that person anymore. You're a brand new person in Jesus Christ. You have that new identity. First, or John 1 verse 12 and 13 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave right to be called children of God who were born not of blood or by the will of the flesh nor by the will of man but of God now that you come to Christ when you come into to relationship with him when you ask him to forgive you of your sins of everything that you've done wrong you make him lord and savior of your life you are now a child of God you're now a child of God that is your new identity you're not who you once were and so for many of us, when we want to go talk to God, we, we come from the, from the attitude of someone who has offended God or hurt God or, or messed up. Listen, God has already forgiven you. God has already forgiven you. When you ask him to forgive you and you make him Lord of your life, he's forgiven you. You know what? Now you're a son. Now you're a daughter. You can walk into his presence and you can say, God, here's what I need. This is what I need. A couple weeks ago, um, we had some teenagers in our neighborhood. Um, my, my wife called it Ding Dong Ditch. Um, it's where you like ring someone's doorbell at like two o'clock in the morning and then you run off. Have you guys ever had that happen to you, right? So we <laughs> had some kids that did that in our neighborhood. They, they came and they rang our doorbell. It was like one o'clock in the morning and, uh, and I was half asleep and all of a sudden I hear like the, the doorbell ringing and I'm like, what is that? And guys, I have four kids. And so most of the time when stuff like that happens at night, um, the kid did something, you know? And so I just like kind of roll over, go back to sleep. And my wife like wakes me up. She goes, no, 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 that was somebody at our door. Like, I wonder what's happening. Like, I wonder if like it's the cops or if like something's happening or like fire department or like maybe a house is on fire and they need to get us out. So she goes, go outside and check it out. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, get outside, get ready, walk, put my shoes on, walk outside and down the street, I hear like a skateboard going across. Uh, sidewalk, you know, that, you know, like going down the sidewalk. And I'm like, okay, this is just dumb kids. And the whole, so I go back upstairs, I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, it was just kids there. They just did, I heard a skateboard down the street. She got so mad. Like she got so angry. She's like, how dare they do that? That's so disrespectful and all this stuff. However, my four-year-old daughter, every single night between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m., walks up to my wife's side of the bed and says, Mom, I gotta go to the bathroom. My wife wakes up half asleep and goes, just, just go. She goes, okay. And my wife thinks it's the cutest thing in the world. What's the difference between the kid ringing the doorbell and my four-year-old announcing that she needs to go potty? It's relationship. It's relationship. 
we, we, that is my daughter. That's my child. That's someone, I don't mind when she does that. It's cute. It's cute when she does that. It's not cute when someone else's kid does that, you know, like it's cute when she does it. I don't mind it. And for some of us, we, we feel, we act like orphans when it comes to talking to God. We act like God doesn't care about what we're going through or God's distant from us or God's got other things more important that he needs to take care of. But really in reality, you are now a child of God. You are someone who, who has access to walk in and say, God, here's what I need. This is what I need. Tim Keller says this. He says that, uh, I'm messed up on other, oh, there we go, here we go. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access. You can walk into God's presence at any time and say, God, this is what I need. And it's not because of what you've done. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You are now a son. You are now a daughter. And because of that, you can pray and you can ask God to meet you right where you're at relationship changes everything who you are means nothing but who you are in christ changes everything now we have the confidence to draw near to the throne of god and that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in our time of need for the rest of this series we're going to look at the the lord's prayer which is a guide that jesus gave us on how to pray literally in the bible in matthew Jesus is talking. He's on the, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the only messages that we get from Jesus, only sermons that we get from Jesus in the Bible. And Jesus says, do you guys want to learn how to pray? Here's how you do it, right? If the Son of God is going to teach us how to pray, then maybe we should listen, right? And so for the rest of the series, we're just going to kind of walk through the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to see how this plays into our relationship with God. In, in, in Matthew 6, uh, verse 9, Jesus literally says this, pray like this, pray this way. Matthew 6, verse 9, pray th like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is called the Lord's prayer. It's a powerful, powerful template for us to pray better prayers. And before we even started talking about how to pray better prayers, I wanted to introduce this series to you guys and let you guys realize that God is not mad at you. The price of your sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Your sin that separated from you from God, Jesus took care of it. All you need to do is say, God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live humbly for you. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail, but I'm, I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. And once you do that, every mistake, every failure, everything that you've done wrong from there on out, Jesus has covered. And so now you're a son or daughter. And because you're a son or daughter, you can now say our father in heaven. Aside from John 3.16, the most quoted passage in the Bible, the most memorized, the most quoted passage in the Bible is the Lord's Prayer. However, because it's recited so much, it, sometimes we lose the significance of it. We lose like what the words actually mean. How many of you guys have ever been like a first grade class? First grade, uh, you've walked into like a first grade class. How many of you guys were ever in first grade? All right, there we go. So we, we're in this first grade class. Everyone has memorized the Pledge of Allegiance, right? 
And you hear these kids, they're like, okay, first of the day, everybody stand up, put your hand on their heart, kids are saying, and they're, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, like that, right? That's how it sounds. It sounds like just something that's memorized. But the kids don't really realize the power of the words that they're saying. I pledge allegiance is an incredibly strong statement, right? And for so many of us, we grew up in a church tradition to where we memorized the Lord's Prayer, but we didn't take the time to step back and say, what does this actually mean to me? What do these words mean to me? Let's go break down. Let's slow this thing down a little bit and let's see what Jesus is actually saying. Matthew 6, 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, the word... The first word of the prayer is our. This reminds me that this is that life is not about me. He didn't say my father in heaven. And really out of anyone who could say that, Jesus could say that more than anyone else. He didn't say my father. It, the prayer wasn't about him. It was our father in heaven. So when I pray, I do so with in unity with other believers. I lock arms with other people. I'm a part of a tradition that's so much greater than me. It goes back thousands and thousands of years to people who loved God and served God just like I'm doing it. And thousands and thousands of years from now, they're going to people who are loving God and serving God just like I'm doing it. And so when I say our father, our means that I'm a part of something bigger than me. And so many of us, because we live in a culture that's so self-centered, we need to be constantly reminded that we're a part of us. We're a part of a group. We're a part of what God is doing. And this is so much bigger than just my talents, my abilities, my dreams, my vision. It's so much bigger than that. And I need to be a part of what God is doing. So our Father. Father is the Greek word potter. It, all, it also is an Aramaic word. These are two languages that the Bible was written in. The Aramaic word is Abba, not the Swedish uh, disco band. Different Abba, all right, is the Aramaic word. And that simply means daddy. It simply means daddy. And so just like we would say in English, daddy, uh, here's what I have going on. Here's what's going on. G Jesus is saying we can approach God and say, God, daddy, here's what's happening in my life. God is loving. He's accessible He's better than the best human parent. So when I pair those first two words together, our father, I'm reminded that once I was estranged from God, once I was separated from God, but because he loved the world so much and gave his son, now I have daddy that's loving and accessible and approachable and I can take to him anything that I'm facing in life. You have a different relationship with God. You have a different relationship with God than just he's up there, I'm down here. No, he's daddy, our father in heaven. Heaven balances the intimacy that we have with God as daddy, and it reminds us of his power and of his majesty. Yeah, he's accessible, but he's also the creator of the world. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one that's going to be be here for eternity and he was here for eternity he's the one that's over all things everything exists to his glory that that's he's so much higher and so much deeper so much further than anything i could ever understand or grasp yet i still get to call him father our father in heaven hallowed be your name Name refers to one person's character or authority. All that God stands for should be treated as holy and honored because of his perfection and his goodness. 
God's will is what drives creation. It does so for his glory. But when I say my father in heaven, hallowed be your name, what I'm saying is, is that his glory, his, his will is what drove, the fa- drove my ability to be, to be able to call him father. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing you. God wants this relationship with you. God wants to hear from you. You may say, but pastor, I don't, you don't know what I've done. That's true, but God does. And he's taking care of that through the, through the blood of his son on the cross. He's paid the price of those failures by the death of his son. And now you have the right to call him father. Some of us were taught that everyone's a child of God. It's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that all, we're all made in the image of God. Therefore, because of that, I honor every single person that I come in contact with because they bear the image of God inside of them. They're all created in the image of God. And so I honor someone who doesn't think like me, who doesn't worship like me, who doesn't live like me, who, ha- who, who thinks, sin, uh, thinks about sin differently than I am. I honor them because they bear the image of God inside of them. But John clearly tells us that it's Jesus and what he did for us that gave us the right to be called children of God. And so for maybe you're here today and maybe you're like, man, I'm I'm separated from Jesus. I'm apart from Jesus. I don't I've, I've just been trying to live life as best as I could. I've been trying to be a good person as best as I could. But you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've never asked Jesus to to, to be Lord of your life. That means to be king that, that, that now I'm following him. No longer what I want to do is what he wants to do. Now I'm following. Maybe you've never asked that before. When you do that, that gives you the right to be a son or a daughter of God. The death and resurrection of Jesus took away every accusation that the enemy has against you, but it also takes away every reason that you have that you may think that God doesn't want to talk to you. God is waiting. God is waiting. We can pray stronger prayers. We can raise the quality of our prayers. We can be honest with God. Do you, do you think that you like have to sugarcoat things? Like maybe you have a dad that's just a good dad, right? You have a good dad. And you can just give him like, hey, this is, this is how life is right now. This is what's happening. Maybe you have a good friend like that. Maybe your spouse is like that. Maybe it's just like saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to give you like, like this version of me. No, I'm just going to give you me. I'm going to say, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's breaking my heart right now. This is what I'm excited about. If you read through Psalms, that's what David did. David was constantly talking to God. Sometimes it sounds like he's complaining to God. Sometimes it sounds like he's celebrating. Sometimes it sounds like he's spiking a touchdown ball. Like sometimes it sounds like all these things are happening in David's life because what David did is David was just sitting there saying, God, I'm just going to like kind of rip my heart out and I'm going to give you everything, give you all of me. And, and, and God, I know that you're big enough to deal with it. And the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. You can give God all of you. You can give God the best of you. You can give God the worst of you. You can do that because he is a good father. I love it when my kids come talk to me because there's things as their father that I want to know about them. I want to know their perspective. I want to, I want to see things the way that they see them. But there's also things as the father that I, that I know that I can put into their spirit. My four-year-old daughter um, she's a little 
curly hair. Um, you see her running around here. She's got blue eyes, just like me. She just realized this yesterday. And so I'm laying down watching college football like you do, right? Laying down watching college football, and she climbs up in my lap, and she says, she says Daddy, uh, you have eyes like me. You have blue eyes. I have blue eyes. I said, yeah, we have, we have the same eyes. I said, you have my eyes. And she said, she said, I have your eyes. And, I, and as a father, because I was just there listening to what she was saying, I was able to put something there in her spirit. And as she said, Dad, you have eyes like me. I have blue eyes. You have blue eyes. And I said, yeah, you have my eyes. You know what that makes you? Because you have Daddy's eyes. That makes you strong. And every now, every now and then, I, I'm, for the past like 24 hours, I've said, hey, we have the same eyes. What does that make you? Strong. Okay, good. That makes you strong. And for so many of us, because we grew up thinking that God was distant, we think that God was far off. We think that God was disappointed in us. We think that God didn't want to talk to us. We miss those conversations. But you need to know that your heavenly father has all of these resources, all of these things that he wants to put in your spirit. He wants to make you strong. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you hope. All these things, whatever you face in life, he wants to give it to you. And what the key to getting it is really to have that relationship with him, to have those conversations with him, to realize, to say, hey, God, here's, here's the parts of me that are, that are wrong, but here's the parts of me that are right. Talk to him. But I don't know what to say. He knows that. If you're here and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to ask you. I mean, if I sat down and prayed right now, it would sound like Tim Allen's. Good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. That's what it would sound like if I tried. He knows that you don't know how to pray. But he still wants to talk to you. The quality of conversation that I have with my 20-year-old daughter and my four-year-old daughter are two totally different conversations. Do you think I prefer one or the other? No, I will take either one at any time for any length. I want to talk to him. I want to hear from him. And so do all these excuses that you may have of thinking that God doesn't want to talk to me. God doesn't want, God doesn't need to have a conversation with me. God doesn't, uh, I, God knows what I've done and he's distant from me. Listen, take all of those out and just come back to the simple truth that you are a child of God and your father wants a relationship with you. Stop comparing yourself to others. Raise the quality and quantity of your prayer. Know that it's not about what you've done, but what he's done for you. You're a child, and your father wants a relationship with you.